to the 18th episode of the extensive reading podcast uh where we yes <laughs> where we take an intensive look at extensive reading uh i'm jose camino one of your hosts and with me is as always travis pass pleasure to be here uh same here uh well uh for today yeah before we start with the uh the plan for today uh travis is going to tell you about some housekeeping issues yeah so like just a bit of housekeeping we've kind of reorganized our website just slightly um, for each episode, there are now two links. One of them is just the number. So, for example, for this one, number 18, and then the title. That link just has the audio. Uh, we also have a second link that is show notes, episode 18. And that will have all of the further reading, all of the descriptions, maybe a picture. So if you're listening through our website, I would encourage you just to keep with the show notes link um the other one is is specifically for our podcast feed that gets sent over to to apple mm -hmm. so yeah I hope, I hope it didn't cause, cause much confusion yeah these days, but it's sorted <laughs> so if you're coming from any link that jose gives maybe through the uh extensive reading friends page it's probably mm -hmm. going to be the show notes link so if i do it right <laughs> yeah <laughs> Just just a heads up. Sorry, sorry if if things have been a little crazy. Anyway, uh, today, what if we have the second part of our uh, interview with uh, Professor Paul Nation? And um, yeah, we have a nice, nice menu. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Hope you're hungry. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, he in not to give it away, but in the second part of the interview, uh, Professor Nation discusses how much extensive reading needs to be done, the role of output which is a fascinating topic for, for some skepticals like me. Mm -hmm. And uh, the frequency and vocabulary, which we haven't really treated before. Yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, that's basically, uh, I don't want to, I don't want to give it away. That's well, let's get to it without further ado. Part two. You've been talking about um, different uh, levels of difficulty of extensive reading. Uh, you were you were saying if you're working on fluency development, you should really read texts that are below uh, your level, and like that should imply that uh, in other in other occasions you would be doing extensive reading with more difficult texts. Yeah. And, yeah. Well, uh, yeah. Uh, I was thinking. I, I think. Um, I think you wrote that there are two kinds of extensive reading in terms of uh, your purpose. You can be doing extensive reading for vocabulary development or for fluency development. And if you're doing it for vocabulary development, the level of the texts should be a bit higher so that you encounter new new words. Is this right? Not quite right, but almost. <laughs> it's, not, it's not just for vocabulary development. It's for reading skill development and vocab development and developing grammatical knowledge and also developing content knowledge as well. So meaning-focused meaning input, that has to have 
a little bit of challenge to it in the sense that uh, it's really Steve Krashen's I plus one, input plus one. Mm -hmm. And the plus one can come from vocabulary or from content or from grammar or from skill in reading. You know, and and so you 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 don't want the plus one to be too big. And yeah. from vocab vocab, it's fairly easy to define. You know, we say one unknown word in fifty is about right for for the vocab element. But but it's broader than just vocab. So you're developing a range of you know knowledge and skills related to reading. But you're certainly right about the other one. About one third of a of a extensive reading course should be really easy stuff for fluency development. And the learners should know, the learners should be making this choice. They should know that some of the time I'm reading stuff which is at the right level for me, and about a third of the time I should be reading what I've already read before but read it really fast or get a book way below my level if I'm reading at the 800 word level, get a book at the 300 word level and read it really fast, you know. And, and do that. And so they should know that, you know, there's fluency focus and reading skill focus too. Yeah. I think that's something, um, at least I would imagine we'd have to remind students of, I think mm. so many students just want to challenge, well, really motivated students may just want to challenge more difficult things and, and not spend time on, on things that they may seem as, or deem as too easy, right? Yeah. Yeah. So. But that's why I think it's it's important to keep students informed. Right. There's a New Zealand used to be really famous in middle distance running when I was young. There was a coach called Arthur Lydiard who trained Peter Snell and Murray Halberg and people who won gold medals at the Olympics in middle distance running. And he used to say you should always explain when you're training them why they're why? doing yeah, you know why? Why do I have to run uphill and and carrying these weights and doing all these things? He said because if they know what they're doing, you can get twice as much work out of them. And so students should should really know what they're doing too. Why they're doing something? You know, why am I doing extensive reading? You know, and the thing is, well, you, they should know that they can actually go and test themselves on vocab knowledge and see increases in their vocabulary as a result of doing it. They should know what the benefits are and they should know how to see these benefits. And they should also, you know, they should keep a record of their reading and say, gosh, it took me an hour to read a book this long, you know, you know, three months ago, but now I'm doing the same kind of book, but I'm doing it in 40 minutes, you know. And so they, they should be able to, to to they should know why and they should know know to look to see that they're improving so yeah my my follow-up question to that is is um i guess how much if if we're telling our students why, why they should be reading extensively and, and giving them a vision i think they'll want to know well how much reading do i need to do to actually improve okay well I've done research on that. Um, if you want the detailed answer, there's an article published, I think, 2014 or 2015. It'll be on my website called How Much Input Do You Need? And when I did that research, I was interested because there was an argument between Steve Krashen and Tom Cobb. Steve said, "You, it is feasible to to read a lot. 
and to develop, you know, you can read enough in order to, for your vocab knowledge and language knowledge to develop. Tom Cobb said, it's not feasible. Okay. And then, so I thought, well, you know, here are two really bright guys and two good researchers. Why are they disagreeing? And I looked closely at their arguments. And, it's, and they're argue, they, they were actually arguing about different things. Mm. So Tom was saying, the students basically the students just read material which is too difficult and therefore they can't read enough and they and the teachers don't give them the chance to do quantity of reading so it's not feasible for them to develop through it you know and then steve crashen was saying you know if if students are given the opportunity to read a lot then they're going to be able to meet all of the words that they need to know and they're going to meet them enough times to be able to learn them and and also like that and so i, I went and researched it and said well if you wanted to learn say the, the second 1000 words of english how much would you have to read in order to meet most of that those second thousand words 12 times minimum Okay, and it turned out to be something like I think it was about three hundred thousand words, mm -hmm. which is the equivalent of three novels. Now, in terms of graded readers, I've, I've, I'm actually intending to redo that research at the two thousand word level and three thousand word level with graded readers, because I think the number, the amount you have to read, would probably be lower in that case. But then, so I worked out for each one thousand word level how many thousands or hundreds of thousands of running words you'd have to read in order to meet each word or most of the words at, at that 1,000 word level at least 12 times. And so for the second thousand, and now I'm doing this from memory, so <laughs> we're in trouble, but the second thousand was you had to read about 300,000 words. And then if you wanted to learn the third thousand, you had to read another um, uh, half million words, 500,000 words in the next year, because I was looking at learning a thousand a year, which is a very ambitious goal. It's it's a native speaker goal, uh, although the research wasn't done for native speakers. And then in the to learn the what's that? We've done the second and third, the fourth thousand. I think it's somewhere like you have to read about a million words a year. Wow! You think, well, wow, million? That's a lot. It's ten novels. Yeah, ten ten novels of average length. And you know, I, you know, I'm 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 a fluent reader of English, but I probably read about I don't know, eighty books a year or something like that. I read, I you know, I read quite a lot. And then so I worked it out. If your reading speed was 150 words per minute, and you had to read 300,000 words a year to read to learn the second 1,000 words, and the school week has 40 weeks in it, and they only go for five days a week. How many minutes per school day would you have to read in order to read that amount? So it's possible to work it out. And it turned out, you know, for the second thousand words, it's reading something like, you know, 20, 20 minutes a week or something like that. It's, 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 really it's not manageable. A, very manageable. Yeah. And even at the 9,000 word level, when you're learning the ninth 1,000 words, which is, you know, a big vocab size, you'd need to spend something like, it was probably a, over an hour a day for that. But even that is feasible, you know. And so it, my conclusion was that Steve was right. It is feasible if the material is at the right level for the learners 
it's feasible to read enough to be able to develop a good substantial vocabulary knowledge. Now, Tom responded to the re research because both Steve and that responded to my, you know, commented on my research and said, yeah, it's still a hell of a lot of time. And I agree, <laughs> it, is, it is a hell of a lot of time. No, but because, you know, you're doing it to learn the first 9,000 words, you're looking at nine years and you're looking at, you know, quite a few, you know, it adds up to a lot of time, but it's feasible. Yeah. It puzzles Go me on. that you're, you're assuming, in this research, aren't you assuming that you're going to learn those words exclusively through input? No. Okay. I, 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 well, I was assuming that, but I also point out that, that, that the English course should involve much more than that. And so, because the English course should also involve language-focused learning, you could probably greatly increase the efficiency by having a well-balanced course. But I just, I just simply wanted to take what they were arguing about and say, can you get enough input to learn this vocabulary? And the answer is yes, you can. It's feasible. In terms of time, yeah. Yeah, in terms of time, mm -hmm. yeah. And 150 words per minute is a very low reading speed. I, I wouldn't be happy if my students were reading 150 words per minute. I'd want somewhere around 250 words per minute. And I'd be doing speed reading courses with my students until they were reading 250 words a minute. Mm. Yeah. Oh. Do we yeah. want to address anything about uh, more about vocabulary or about frequency lists or or how to treat other different low frequency words? Yeah, I think it's really important that teachers know about high frequency, mid frequency and low frequency vocabulary. Um, you know, there's a lot of research on this now, and there's a lot of competing word lists. And I can't get very excited about the competition between word lists. I think they're all going to be reasonable. The main principle is that if you're a foreign language learner, you have initially a very small vocabulary, and you're not going to get meaning-focused input if you, unless you use material which is vocabulary controlled. And that's very important. There are some people who are against vocabulary control, but every time I've questioned them, they get a bit shifty. Um, and, and, but I can't see arguments against it. Mm -hmm. I think that when your students are low level students, the evidence is overwhelming that you need to have controlled material. Otherwise, everything is going to be language focused learning. There's going to be no meaning focused input. There's going to be no meaning focused output. It's all struggle, struggle, struggle. It's all intensive reading. That it's right? all intensive yeah. reading, yeah, like that, and, and guided speaking and all of this sort of stuff. And it's really important that even in the first week or two of learning a language, the learners can read a book from the beginning to the end. It might only be, you know, a couple of hundred words long, but they can read it and read it with understanding and we hope with enjoyment. And And so... The, the availability of extensive readers reading of guided read, graded readers in English is an enormous resource. It's just fantastic. You know, when you want to learn another language, you, you, 
it's terrible because there are, you know, there's a few graded readers in Japanese now. There's a few in Chinese. You can count them almost on one hand. Mm. And anyone struggling to learn those languages just doesn't have that marvelous resource where, you know, a learner who knows a hundred words can go and find seven or eight books which are all written within that vocab level and are really interesting. And then they can go and get books which are written at the 200-word level, which they'll like be able to cope with as meaning-focused input. It's just just fantastic. And so it's really important teachers know about graded readers and come to accept that they're good for learning and make sure that their learners make use of them. Hmm. Yeah. I have... I have a different question, and it goes back to what uh, you said before. Uh, but if you don't have the time, it's it's fine. Uh, right. I, I wonder if you could go a little bit into the rationale for meaning focus output, uh, because from uh, from my point of view, um, which is as Travis said, is close to questions, um, is that uh, language is something that we develop basically mm -hmm. inside our brain. Is is it's it's a mental. I think it's not it's not a skill it depends on what it's been hardwired on your brain and uh i think that without that input you're not going to develop it right and that's uh it's maybe confusing the way i'm putting it but i think no, no, second, I, second I, language I, learners ought to kind of reproduce um acquisition of language in the way in the, in the way native speakers do right so um And, and the native speakers uh, don't don't sit quietly for years and years. Sure. Uh, yeah. Sure. We, we we mumble and then at the end well, we we sort of, we produce, yeah. uh, but very much in the in the way that um, Krushin says we would. <laughs> Basically. Yeah. But. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Well, I I look at it. I come at it from a vocab perspective, and and there's this distinction made between receptive and productive knowledge of vocabulary. Mm -hmm. And receptive knowledge of vocabulary is what you need for listening and reading, and productive knowledge is what you need for speaking and writing. And whenever you give a test of vocabulary knowledge, if you're if you're testing productive knowledge, and product in, and a test like this would be, you're given the word in your first language Japanese, and then you have to write the translation in English. So that's a productive test. Yeah, because you actually have to go from meaning to the word form. And learners score scores are much lower on productive tests and receptive tests. And so, you know, I so I tried to figure out well why is it that productive knowledge is seems harder to develop than receptive knowledge? And I think it's because precision of knowledge is much more necessary. When, when you speak, you've got to be able to actually say the word, get the sounds in the right order and do all of that things. When you meet a word, you could be quite poor at spelling that word, but be, be able to recognize it enough to be able to give a meaning to it. But when you come to speak, you've really got to get it right. And when you come to write, you've also got to get it the best you can. Although looking at young native speakers' efforts, it's quite fun to watch you know how how they gradually approach getting it right and that and so i think that you actually need more precision of knowledge in speaking and so having to produce language makes you look at input differently and so the most obvious way is if you have to write 
then when you read, you then start reading like a writer. Mm-hmm. You you start to say, well, how did how did the person begin this? How did they, you know, did they divide it? Did they use subheadings? Did you know? You start then to reflect because you know that you you're going to have to write. You then start to read a bit differently. And the same with when you listen, you say, oh, that's how you begin a conversation on the phone. Because now you want to speak on the phone instead of just listening, you've got to speak. Then you you got you know you pay attention in a different way. So I think having to produce changes your focus onto features which are not necessary, which are not necessarily focused on on in input. And so I think it's not simply just turning uh, reception into production. I think it's focusing on features which are important for production. And so I think that's what Swain called pushed output to some degree. And that is where you have to say things that you might be able to read about or listen to, but now that you have to produce it, you suddenly realize, wow, you know, I never paid attention to that. I've got gaps in my knowledge here. And you've then got to start giving attention differently. And that is something that we do as, as native speakers when we're children. Yeah, we yeah. You have to we produce do. the language, if, otherwise you don't get yeah. a cookie. <laughs> yeah, and, and, but you think of your own study. You know, when you have to write assignments, a great way to, to learn how to write an assignment is to go and read someone else's assignment. Absolutely. Don't copy it word for word, <laughs> but, but go and see how someone else who is doing it well has done it. And you say, oh yeah, and then and then to be a little bit language focused, learning about it, you know, and say, well, do they? How do they organize it? What do they do here? And yeah, that was good. And so you then start getting input with a different kind of focus and having to produce. So that's why I think input alone isn't enough because unless you really have to produce and and making the sounds, even that, you know, making the if you're a a Japanese speaker and so on. It's something you've got to learn how to do. It just doesn't come from listening. Mm. Yeah. I have one more. Okay. Um, in minimum focused, um, in the minimum focused trend, uh, you suggested you should divide the time between listening and and reading. Meaning focused input. input yeah. Right. What did I say? Yeah. Well, meaning focused. focused is input yeah. and, and, and also and, and, and output. Sorry, yeah. minute focus yeah. input. You should have both listening and and, and reading. Yeah. And the question, my question would be, uh, why would that be? Say, if it's much easier to provide uh, reading material to students, if if I'm a teacher in a situation where it's, it would be far easier for me to provide, mm-hmm. like the same uh, number of encounters uh, with certain words uh, yeah. through through reading. Um, what would be the rationale for... Um, yeah, thing? well, you, you sort of got me here because there's a certain arbitrary element to the four strands. And and there are two sort of arbitrary aspects. One one arbitrary aspect is each, four, each strand gets equal time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the other arbitrary element is within each strand, you give a certain amount of time to to listening and reading or speaking and writing or the four skills and fluency and so on like that. And that, that's just arbitrary. I, there, there are ways, I've sort of looked at ways of saying, well, you know, we, we tend to read faster than we listen. Mm-hmm. So maybe 
the reading strand, reading part of the strand should be a bit smaller than the listening part of the strand so that you can get an equivalent amount of listening input as reading input. You know what I mean? Because if you have equal time in the two, two parts of that strand, then you're going to actually read more running words in that time than you would listen. You know, but and so you could divide the strands not arbitrarily according to time, but according to amount of input or output or something like that. You know, but yeah, I guess it's just arbitrary. That's what I've done. And the other ways I've looked at it, I've looked at three or four ways of trying to allocate time, but it just comes down to this one seems to be the easiest. And you know, if you read more than you listen. Yeah, nothing bad about that, you know. So, but but it is arbitrary. I don't really know how you'd prove experimentally that one kind of division would be better than the other, you know. Like fluency, for example, you know, fluency should take up a quarter of the course time. Well, if you do fluency activities, these activities actually don't take much time. Hmm. And so you could say, well, maybe you could make the fluency part smaller. But then the sort of argument that it, it gets a bit self-serving, but it's sort of saying, well, actually, when you do meaning-focused input, you're actually doing fluency as well, uh, because you know some of the things you read are very familiar. You, you know, even though there are difficult parts in that same material, you know, and so <laughs> you know you don't have a pure strand usually. If you of have meaning-focused input out, it's never pure. And so I think it could get just a little nitpicky of saying, you know, we've now moved from input to fluency and, you know, da, 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 and, you know, try and divide up like that. But it's just arbitrary. So can't give you a better answer than that, really. No, that was great. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, well, thank yeah, you. Well, thanks a lot. Thank That's you it. for giving us an hour. Um, if there's anything yeah. else you wanted to hit on, but... No, no, I think I think you covered everything I wanted to cover. I can't talk about anything nowadays without talking about the four strands. <laughs> uh, so I, but anyway, no, that's good. Uh, well, well, thank you. Thank you for your work and, and a lot of the things that, that you've written about have been really helpful to me as a teacher. And uh, so I really uh, I appreciate what you've done. Okay, and if you haven't read the book, what should every EFL teacher know? You can buy it on Amazon electronically for fifteen bucks. Uh, read that; that's the one I'm happiest about. I okay. think that you know, I, when I wrote that, I thought, look, I've been teaching, training teachers for fifty years. If I can't sit down and say, here's what I think you should know, you know, after fifty years, then I've wasted my life. <laughs> <laughs> so I sat, sat down and did it, and I, at the end, I thought, that's good; I haven't wasted my life. <laughs> We'll include a link in our show notes. Sure. Oh. Yeah. I'm not going to make any more money out of that book. It was It's deliberately low-priced. It was a stipulation I made to the publisher that it's got to be cheap for teachers to buy. And any royalty I'm ever going to get from it, I've already got from it. So I'm not trying to make money on this. This is just a book that I'm really happy about. Yeah. Okay. Thanks again. Thanks, Professor Nation. Thanks for your time. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Everything. Fantastic. <laughs> it was wonderful. I, I really, he, he mentioned how, how lucky our learners are 
to have such such a wealth of resources of, of graded readers and how how we don't have so many I have to say I'm very jealous. Yeah. Um, and I have to, I'm going to give it away. I'm going to be uh, changing jobs. I'm going to be teaching Spanish uh, from April, not English. And I'm going to miss those many graded readers. <laughs> uh-huh. But he said you could you could count on one hand almost how many graded readers there mm-hmm. are. But uh, just talking a few episodes ago with uh, Mitsue Tabata Sandam, we can be optimistic. There's a bright future ahead. At least for us learning Japanese. Yeah. <laughs> so, people are doing the work. So don't give up hope. But No, no, that's, that's tough. Yeah. It's just not, not as many. Not nearly as many. Yeah. So, But we appreciate the work. Uh, anyway, looking ahead. Cheating. <laughs> Academic dishonesty. <laughs> yeah, we have an interview with um, uh, two teachers from Akita International University. Uh, Professor Naiko Naganuma and Professor Patrick Doherty. Uh, who together with another professor wrote an article uh, for the language teacher on how students cheat uh, in extensive reading programs and some ways uh, for teachers to keep that to a minimum and to discourage cheating. And that'll be our 19th episode. Yeah, so we hope you, we hope you tune in again. And until then, <laughs> until then, happy reading. Happy reading. Happy reading.